0: Welcome to Why we Marathon, a podcast diving into the deep motivating factors for why people choose to run marathon races. I'm extremely excited for today's guest. We have a legend, an Olympian and one of the most well-known running coaches in America, Jeff Galloway joining us today. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. How are you?
1: Alex, I couldn't be happier to be here. You're doing a good, good great job with your podcast.
0: Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And it's really an honor to interview you today, Um, you know, considering your status in the running community and everything that you've given back to people. So thank you for everything you do. And um, let's just start off with some quick demographic questions. It's always interesting to hear sort of where marathoners come from in life. Um, What's your age and your day job?
1: Well, uh, I am 75, uh, will become 76 in a few months. My day job is... What I did since 1973, I am the owner of the oldest running store in the United States, specialty running store, and that is Fidipides. We named the store originally and continuously after the founder of our sport. And um, I uh, have to tell you that because I was really premature and making a profit with Filipides back in 1973 I uh, had to branch out and that's that became the uh, mother of invention of training groups and coaching programs and retreats at at Carmel and Lake Tahoe and Florida and um, a whole host of other things that we have done, including uh, 32 books.
0: Amazing. Now, I, I am curious. There, I think, used to be a Pheidippides in Encino, California. Was there any relation there?
1: Yes. We uh, franchised at uh, a period in the early 80s, and it, it was uh, there was several economic issues that were very unkind to specialty retailers. Uh, Encino's uh, Fidipity store stayed around for an extremely long time. Um, and there are two other Fidipity stores that are still around since that era. Uh, at one time, we had 35 stores, including Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach, um, and there were a few others right along the coastline there. Uh, but uh, they uh, they uh, got into the uh sessions the various recessions that we had unfortunately
0: yeah definitely and i'm sure some competition from a little company called amazon probably didn't help out
1: no it's that's a real tough deal for specialty retailers and uh, the manufacturers that used to support specialty retailers couldn't care less today and uh, and so they're competing against us with their online sales and Selling to Amazon's and so forth. It's a real tough time. And so my message to the listeners is if you have a store that you really like, you just better support it because they're going to be less than half of the running stores around in about 12 months.
0: Yep, I, I completely agree. I always try to shop local when I can, and there's something nice when you go to a local running store, and you know you have knowledgeable people there that can help you with the right shoe fitting and the right sizing, and give you all those tips. Um, so I completely agree with you there, Jeff. And um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I think I'm going to start a new podcast once this one is uh, long down the line, called the Locals, to help support local uh, local businesses. So I, I love that you come from that background. You know, it makes me think of a, of another company, Blue Ribbon Sports. I don't know if you heard about that back in the day.
1: Well, I actually sold some of their shoes out of the trunk of my car back in the 60s. And uh, my best friend in life was the third employee of Blue Ribbon Sports, and then the third employee of Nike, uh, Jeff Hollister. Uh, Wonderful friend. Unfortunately, uh, a few years ago, he passed away due to cancer, but uh, just a wonderful friendship and uh, a heritage knowing him
0: definitely and where did you where did you meet him perchance
1: i uh was a product of the uh the draft in the vietnam war and so uh, i joined up on an officer program and went through ocs in newport rhode island well the very first week there was a relay between the companies that uh, were there. Basically the barracks uh, of uh, each one was a company. And um, I uh, was thinking, oh, this is gonna be really easy. Nobody else runs. So I get the uh, baton as the anchor leg and I pass four or five guys right away. But this, this one guy when I passed him, wouldn't give up. We duked it out all the way to the finish, and and we just never did remember who actually won, but but we turned to one another right away and said, who the heck are you? And and we became fast friends right from that point. Uh, just a wonderful friendship and just a whole lot of wonderful experiences, and he became my mentor in shoe design and then uh, helping out uh, when I started my store and continuing all the way through. And he would pull me into a lot of these things and going uh, around Oregon with uh, Steve Prefontaine and a few others in that era. But it was a treasure uh, to be able to do these things with Pre and the folks that Jeff worked with. Jeff actually worked right across the desk for from Steve. And, uh, and that's really how I got to know Steve in a very close way.
0: That's amazing. I mean, just absolute legends. And, you know, I think it also points to just the running community building friendships. I mean, some of my best friends come from running and, you know, when you spend hours training together and, you know, long runs talking, it's, it's meant to be a a solid friendship and foundation for that friendship. So I'm really glad to hear that. I am curious, what was your very first marathon?
1: Well, uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, it was my freshman year in college. I went to college at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And uh, it, it was my first trip home that first semester. So I get home right before Christmas and went out to run with some of my running buddies. And they asked me, well, are you going to run the, the marathon? And I said, what, what do you mean? Uh, The Atlanta Marathon, they're going to have a marathon here. And I said, oh, I've only trained up 15 miles. That that would not be smart. And uh, my buddy said, hey, they've got a really big trophy. Well, I had never won a trophy. And uh, so I had to go out there to see what the trophy looked like. And sure enough, it was (laughs) the biggest trophy I had ever seen. Uh, so, uh, I looked around the field and at that point, there were nine other guys there and I sort of figured I might be able to beat every one of them. Uh, so I gave the race director my $3 entry fee and, uh, lined up. I knew that there was one guy in town that I couldn't beat. He was a veteran road runner named Ken Wynn, but he wasn't there. So... Mm-hmm the race director gives us our instruction and he's just about to fire the gun. When this car goes rolling around the curb parks and Ken Wynn gets out of the car and walks toward the start.
0: Well, what was and going I, through your mind when you saw him and that car door open?
1: Oh, I, I knew I, I wasn't going to win the race and, and why would I want to put myself through this? So I uh, went right at, at looked at the race director who was just right in front of me. And I said, uh, I want my money back. He says, I'm not going to give it to you. And so I, I was at this dilemma and all of a sudden he fires the gun. And so I figure I'm just going to do a, a workout here. It was, it was a little over 10 times around a golf course. Wow. And it was a really course. There were two significant hills every lap and uh, some minor hills also. So um, I'm going and going, and after the first mile and a half, Ken Wynne was out of sight. I never saw him again, Uh, but I was in second place and strong second place, but uh, no trophy for second place, no nothing for second place. So I get to around 15 miles, which is the length of my longest run that, that fall. And I was really, hitting the wall and feeling bad. So I, I came by the race director and I said, that's it. I'm quitting. And he said, you can't quit because you're in first place. And I said, well, what happened to Ken when he said he dropped out two laps ago. Wow. <laughs> I said, well, thanks for telling me the that
0: table's turned.
1: So here I am. I, I, I figured I wasn't going to run the whole way. So I'd run fairly hard the last three laps and I uh, sucked it up and uh, went another lap, and, uh, and then another one, and then I was spent. I, I, I was really walking before I blacked out, and so I, I came by the race director. And I said, there's nothing you can tell me that is going to keep me in this race, so he looks at his watch, and then he looks at the chart of all the runners that had come by, and he said, you're 30 minutes ahead of second place.
0: Wow. So you had a huge lead after only training a 15-mile run as your longest. That's pretty amazing. So, so what happened the rest of the race?
1: Well, I, I ran and walked. And it's not the way that I recommend people doing it. But I, I would go until my legs were about to cave in under me, and I would walk. And I made it through. Uh, but I vowed. That I would never run another one of these marathons, and uh, now 235 later, um, <laughs> I'm still in the game.
0: <laughs> wow, that is incredible! So that that clearly didn't deter you from from running any any more marathons. You you won that one in Atlanta. You ended up winning.
1: I, I did. Uh, wow. As a matter of fact, I broke three hours. Uh, I I was in really good shape, but.
0: Clearly, you only did a 15-mile training run and did under three hours. That's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it certainly was a sign that I might have a potential in marathoning, although I really didn't get into it until, uh, gosh, it was uh, seven years later. Uh, But to tell you the the way that this worked, um, I really did not – achieve in high school. I did not win any college scholarship. Uh, I went to a small liberal arts school for the academics. Ironically, uh, the fellow behind me, the year behind me was a guy named Ambie Burfoot. And uh, Ambie was like me. He got no scholarship offers. He, he was off, off the charts in the, in the uh, wrong way in terms of performances like I was, but his senior year, Ambi won the Boston Marathon. And it's the only time a a collegiate uh, athlete has won the Boston Marathon. And then a couple of years later, another guy joined us. His name was Bill Rogers. And the same is true. He came for the academics, not not for the uh, athletics. And we became fast friends and still are.
0: Amazing. I mean, I think they also it's just those long term friendships that you developed are pretty incredible. I would love to love to meet Ambi. We actually just had Jack Fultz on the podcast winner of the 1976 Boston Marathon and it's sort of funny because he also started marathon running because a bunch of friends were just like, hey, there's a marathon going on. So, you know, I think the lesson here is, you know, sometimes you just got to listen to your friends and try new things, you know, and just get yourself out there and try your best, right? Well, you,
1: you learn a lot from your friends and, uh, you pick up things intuitively as well as news that they may have. So yes, listen to your friends.
0: Definitely. All right. So what happened in those, you said the next seven years was sort of a a transformational period for you. What happened after that race? Where did your running career go?
1: I improved a little bit each year, but, uh, I didn't make any national, uh, list or anything. And I had a very low draft number when uh, I turned 18, which meant I was going to go to Vietnam. I mean, there was absolutely no doubt. So that's why I enlisted in the Naval Officer Program. Uh, When I uh, graduated, I went to Navy OCS and then right into the Navy uh, on a ship off Vietnam. Uh, I was there. Thank you for your uh,
0: service, by the way.
1: Well, thank you. I was uh, uh, on that ship for 18 months. And then I lucked out. I got my second tour of duty on a minesweeper that was supposed to sweep mines off Hanoi of Harbor, which I wasn't looking forward to, but they kept having problems in the shipyards. And bottom line is there were so many problems with it that it never went to sea while I was stationed on board, which meant that uh, because the ship was, uh, undergoing rehabilitation in uh, Pearl Harbor, I was able to run again. Uh, First 18 months, it was really hit and miss. I had very little running at all. And uh, so I started to get back in shape and um, got out. I I, I went into the Navy in 67, got out in 1970.
0: Now, quick question. Did you exercise at all when you were on that boat out
1: there? Well, the first ship, no the only time I could do any running was we were an oiler so we refueled other ships off the coast of Vietnam and uh, we would put into the Philippines every three weeks and and refuel uh, and we would be there for two days uh, sometimes three at the most so I, I would be able to run at least one of those days but it was only every three weeks so you know I'd got progressively out of shape.
0: Uh, that's tough then, when you're, you're out at sea and, uh, you know, just limited time available, right. And resources.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, and, and on my ship, there was no place where you could run. Uh, so, um, when I did get out of the Navy, I decided to go to graduate school and the thought hit me, why not try to qualify for the Olympic trials? Now, This was a total long shot. uh, And I didn't have any illusions of making the Olympic team. All I wanted to do is get into the trials and be able to compete with the guys there. Uh, I was a long way away from the qualifying standard. I was two minutes away. uh, No, more than two minutes. I was more like three and a half minutes away from the 10K and about uh, 10 minutes away in the marathon. But I whacked away at it and I joined the Florida Track Club in its uh, inaugural year in 1970. And um, uh, fell in with the, with the guys there with uh, Frank Shorter and uh, Jack Batchelor, uh, became good friends. And uh, I uh, made progress, but uh, with uh, six months to go, I still hadn't qualified to get into the trials but uh, a, an ideal marathon came up with uh, what ended up being a tailwind, and, and I qualified in uh, February of 72, and, um, but I still wanted to qualify in the 10K. Well,
0: Now, why uh, the 10K over the marathon? Oh,
1: no, I wanted both of them.
0: Oh, you wanted both of them. Okay.
1: Yeah, I wanted to run both of them, um, so um, I kept uh, racing, and and then Frank uh, Shorter came up with a really good uh, deal of uh, inexpensive lodging in the off season in Vail, Colorado at altitude. So I went up with he and Jack Batchelor for two months. We trained together up there and came down to uh, to the National AAU Championships. I drove my little 1963 Volvo from Vail nonstop to uh Seattle and woke up the next morning got out and I needed uh, uh, a minute and a half still to, to qualify. I ran a PR by two minutes and qualified and, uh, amazing. And in the uh, next week I actually qualified for the 5k in a race so uh, that altitude I, I'm totally convinced that it's really it really helped me immensely. Uh, And then in the trials, uh, the 10K was first, the marathon was a week after the 10K. And uh, so I didn't really think that I had a chance in the 10K, but it was an extremely hot day. Uh, It was right around 90 degrees at the start. So uh, the gun fires and everybody takes off to try to hang on to Frank Shorter and I was in last place for the first four laps, and then uh, the people started coming back to me, and I I was just picking one one and off, and then another, and with uh, about six laps to go, I uh, I passed my teammate Jack Bachelor, moved into second place, and uh, got second place behind Frank Shorter, and qualified wow. for Munich, and it was the most glorious competitive race that i've ever run in my life you would put that as would next? you
0: put that as your your top top race ever
1: well it competes with the marathon one week later and uh that was a different type of story because coming around the final curve after me uh, about uh 150 yards behind was jack bachelor and it looked like we Florida Track Club guys were going to sweep it. But Jack had gone out too fast, and he was slowing down. He was hitting the wall, and a guy from Eugene was closing in on him, and the crowd was just going berserk. It was John Anderson, the son of the mayor of Eugene. And the crowd was booing him up and pulling him along, and he passed Jack with about... 35 yards left in the race and, and claimed the third place. But, but what was worse is that Jack was wobbling because he was so uh, exhausted and he bumped Anderson a, a, as John went by. And uh, a, a really uh, a meticulous AAU official disqualified Jack from the race. It didn't influence the outcome. It was a very stupid call, but the judge had the authority to disqualify Jack and he would not Mm -hmm. relent on that. So the bottom line was this. If I had qualified in the marathon a week later, I would have dropped out of the 10K so that Jack could move up. That was no longer possible because he was DQ'd. So Jack and I, ran each day and plotted how we could pull him through in the marathon. Now, he had two things going against him. First of all, he didn't think he was to run the marathon. So his longest run was only 17 miles. And at that level, that's not enough. And the second thing is he had a a terrible habit of going out too fast. And of course, that's what got him into trouble in the 10K. Well, I have been a pacing metronome my whole competitive career because I had to. I didn't have a lot of talent and I had to use everything I had. So we And, and maybe, maybe about- Jeff,
0: can I just can I just interrupt you there? What's a what would you call a pacing metronome for some of our listeners out there that might not be familiar with running at all or running marathons?
1: Whatever the pace was, I could be within a few seconds or right on that pace, whether it be 5k, 10k, marathon, whatever. And this is what what I bought into. I, I just had perfect confidence that whatever Jack wanted to pace, I could be within a few seconds of that. And furthermore, I could be there to hold him back in the beginning where he had his problems. And literally, I did. A couple of times I had to grab his shirt because he was starting to take off on me. Uh, but anyway, we went right through there, just hitting the paces right on. And at 21 miles, we had moved up from 100th place at the mile to 61st place at five miles, and we just kept moving up. And at 21 miles, we moved into a tie for third place. Kenny Moore and Frank Shorter were ahead of us, and they finished ahead of us in one, 2 So there was one more place left, and Jack was hurting bad. So I had to cheer him up and, and tell him not to quit, and be the lookout to, to make sure he knew that nobody was coming up on us. And we entered that stadium, the crowd jumped on their feet because they thought that since there was only one place left, it, it would be a horse race around. And that's the most exhilarating moment I've ever had. Um, and And then what stadium was this? It was uh, Hayward field in Eugene, Oregon.
0: Okay. Pretty legendary, uh, stadium for running, right?
1: It was incredible. And then, uh, right at the finish line, I ran right with Jack until we got right to the finish line. I dropped back so he could be the official qualifier. We actually had exactly the same time, but I dropped back right at the finish line. And um, it was really a wonderful thing to be able to help a teammate make the the team. And let me tell you, uh, Bill Bowerman was given a lot of criticism for staging the trials the way he did. He wanted to stage it Exactly as it would be in Munich, so that if people were doubling up, that they would have to go through that whole process. Uh, and he was criticized. He says that his his critics were saying there is no way that we're going to get a representative marathon team when it's only uh, you know a week after a hard 10k in the heat. Well, Bill was right, and they were wrong because that year. The U.S. scored higher than any country has ever scored ever in the history of the Olympics. First, fourth, and Jack was ninth. Three in the top ten.
0: Wow, that's pretty incredible. And I mean, I think it speaks volume to Bill Bowerman and his coaching and his methods. Um, For all of our listeners out there, check out the book Bowerman and the Men of Oregon. I just read it, one of my favorite reads. I mean, you could tell me firsthand, Jeff, what was it like, you know, working with him and sort of being, you know, under his... uh, under his wing?
1: Oh, um, Bill was uh, a, a fantastic uh, person. He was a quirky person. Um, he he really um, had a lot of wisdom, and sometimes he expressed it in some really weird ways, but um, it was just a uh, great experience for me to be around him, and to... Uh, he... You know, Bill was one of those guys that he could size you up right away and he knew whether he liked you or he didn't. He happened to like me. I, I think it was partially because uh, I went uh, to the combat zone and, and I was the only athlete on the team who had been in the military in the combat zone. Uh, and, and Bill was forged by World War II. He uh, fought in a really tough uh, unit called the 10th Mountain Division that went up into the Alps to dislodge the Germans uh, before the Allies started going up uh, towards Germany. And um, his unit that he was in charge of, he was CO of, uh, he had 300 and some odd people, and they accepted the surrender for over 3,000 Germans at the end of the war.
0: Wow. Wow. Talk about an incredible war story. Um, and again, Jeff, I mean, thank you for your service. And I think, you know, it shows that there's something about that military character that clearly Bill related to you with and that you, you know, carry on the rest of your life. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeff, and to all my listeners out there. We look forward to parts two and three of this special series dropping next week. Follow us on Instagram at whywemarathon and visit whywemarathon.com for additional stories and audio clips. You can also visit Jeff's website, jeffgalloway.com, for the latest information on training, marathon races, and everything you want to know about running. Thanks again for listening to Why We Marathon.